0: Welcome to Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast. We are guides for the Hollywood's Haunted Tours in Hollywood, California. And we are here to discuss everything from hauntings and murders to the evil underbelly of Tinseltown to some of our craziest tour groups. Our hosts today are Tia Bean. That's me. Jameson on the phone. (laughs) Uh, Nice.
1: Face here
0: oh man that was that was awesome um who are you yeah i'm patrick God, i do that every episode i forget myself
1: and who are you
0: and who are you what are you doing in my room (laughs) i'm just the announcer (laughs) Um, back to you you. (laughs) um but yeah um how are you guys doing i'm 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 excited for this episode this is. um it's, uh, I mean nobody really knows, right? This is murder yeah, su- murder dealer's surprise. Dealer's choice, right? Murder
1: surprise. Um yeah, I'm less Is that what
0: I get to call the episode? Dealer's choice or Murder Surprise? I like
1: Murder Surprise.
0: Yeah, Murder Surprise. Murder
2: Surprise. Okay, good call. Yeah. yeah. Surprise, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, okay. I'm going to go first, if that's okay. You guys cool with me going first?
1: Um, yeah. Yes. No, yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah. I'm going to step up to the plate here. Uh, okay, so I, I, I chose to tell a story about something that I heard uh, about about 12 years ago that I had overheard on the news or something like that. And I remember being uh, at the restaurant, uh, talking with some guests that were from the area that, that it had just happened at a day or two prior, and just being amazed at the... the the viciousness of, the, of what the story is, yeah. and I was, you know, kind of just talking to him, like, can you believe that? Like, wow, what, that's such a crazy story, and, you know, uh, it, it made the news, but I don't think it was, like, you know, world, you know, yeah. it, I don't know if it, it, it went crazy on uh, around the world, but I had heard it, and I had talked to these people, and so I'm going to tell you guys about it, all
1: yeah. right? Yeah, when, when and, Jameson uh, says is, uh, restaurant, This is the story though? of the
2: killing of oh, Tim no. McLean.
1: Sorry. And... Can you say right. that again? I was interrupting you because I'm a oh, okay. horrible human being. Oh, yeah! How dare you! I know. I'm sorry.
2: Right. Take two. All right, so I'm going to tell you guys a story of the killing of Tim McLean, and this story takes place up in Canada, eh? Oh, eh? And uh, <laughs> we're going to go all the way back into time into to July 30th, 2008. Uh, which uh, is just about a year prior to my son being born, which I'm just realizing. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, oh wow! But uh, this is not a bedtime story for kids, so uh, let's get going here. <laughs> right? um, so our 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 victim here, Tim McLean, um, is working in Canada at a carnival. He's uh, he's he's working up there as a carnival barker, uh, yelling yelling stuff out to people yes. and uh, working the circuit. And he's getting off a long day of work uh, over in uh, edmonton um i'm sorry alberta excuse me he's returning from a fair in alberta oh it's about noon or so okay about noon to be or like, so.
0: there's no circuses
2: in edmonton That's yeah ridiculous. right <laughs> well he catches the bus <laughs> in edmonton um which is oh, yeah. why, why i was thinking that uh so he gets off the carnival is in alberta but he uh gets on the bus um in edmonton uh which is headed from edmonton to winnipeg okay and uh he boards the bus around noon and they uh, they get uh, uh, they get into uh, Erickson, uh, Manitoba, and uh, this is about seven 5, uh, six fifty five p.m. Uh, so he's been on the bus for for almost seven hours now. They stop uh, pick up some more passengers, and um, one of the passengers getting on the bus is a, a, a Chinese immigrant whose name is Vincent Lee. All right, and uh, he came over from China. Uh, I think it was about twenty years prior. Um, didn't speak much English, but, uh, he was, uh, working in various places like churches and other, uh, kind of odds and ends jobs as a forklift driver and whatnot. So, you know, and supporting his wife and, uh, just trying to kind of get by. Well, he gets onto the bus and, um, sits up in the front and, uh, they ride a little bit further and there's a scheduled break. Uh, so they stop and, uh. When he gets back on the bus, he sits down in the back of the bus uh, right next to Tim McLean. Now, apparently, when, when, uh, when he did sit down, Tim kind of noticed him. Uh, he was, I think he was kind of just sitting on the bus half awake, half asleep. But he noticed him, kind of acknowledges him, puts his sunglasses back on, and his headphones back on and goes back to sleep. So the bus takes off, and uh, about 20 minutes into the ride, um, one of the other passengers notices uh, Vincent take out a large hunting knife uh, out of his jacket. And uh, the next second, everyone uh, realizes that this guy grabs a knife and just starts stabbing the shit out of uh, Tim McLean in the oh uh, torso God. and in the neck. Jesus. Just going to town. Screams. Of course, the, 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 Tim just starts screaming. And everyone else starts screaming. So uh, the bus driver immediately pulls the bus over to the side of the road. And everyone runs off the bus. Screaming, crying. They lock him inside the bus. The, the two guys inside the bus, and they're standing there watching. Now, as this is going on, uh, Vincent just continues to hack away at Tim, Jesus. and gets to the point where he actually saws Tim head had clean off. Uh, and oh my god, <laughs> starts walking up and down the bus with the head. All right. <laughs> So now everybody's standing on the side of the, on the road. They're, they're calling for help. They're calling the police and uh, the Royal Mounties are, uh, are on their way. And as they're doing this, um, Vince is walking again, back and forth with the head, goes back to the body and then just kind of starts doing stuff to it, cutting off pieces, uh, talking to himself, um, you know, picking up the head again and going back, banging on the windows. Uh, at one point he tries to turn on the bus. Uh, but they have a kill switch that they can engage. So, oh, the, nice. he's not able to actually leave anywhere. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, so by this point, basically, uh, the, the, the Mounties show up and they surround the bus and they take away the, all the passengers and stuff. Um, and there's basically a standoff. Now, as he's doing this, uh, again, he just keeps going back to the body and, and cutting it up some more. And, uh, he's overheard, uh, yelling stuff and 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 saying i have to stay on this bus forever uh so obviously he's out of his mind um at about 1 in the morning he, he attempts to break the window and escape uh, he smashes the window and he gets out uh, but they catch him uh they tase him and uh, he's subdued and, and and they're able to arrest him all right so uh as as they're searching him and, and searching the bus uh as they're patting him down they find Uh, Parts of Tim's body are found in plastic bags, all right? But uh, Tim's ear, nose, and tongue were found in uh, Vincent's uh, pockets.
1: Oh, my God. Um,
2: And unfortunately, Tim's eyes and part of his heart were never found, and they were assumed to have been eaten
0: by Vincent. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
2: All right. So they capture him, and uh, he goes to jail. uh, And when he's – excuse me, he goes to trial – and he um basically pleads that he's not criminally responsible, which is basically an insanity plea up there. Mm-hmm. Um and the doctors are, you know, they 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 give him a psychiatric test and all this stuff, and uh the doctor said that um Vincent said that God's voice told him that McLean was a force of evil and was about to execute him. Um so they had, you know, they ran all these tests and stuff like that, and the judge agrees and um, accepts the diagnosis that he is he is not mentally capable or responsible for for the murder, and he's put into the Selkirk Mental Hospital. All right. So he he's not convicted of the murder, but he does go to a prison, or go to like a mental prison, basically. And from 2008 or so on to about 2016, they slowly start to let him come out with like supervised walks and then he's allowed to kind of go outside with a monitor and it just kind of slowly they pull back to see if he's a danger to society or not. And on um, February 10th, 2017 he gets an absolute discharge and is now back out into the public. What? Shut the yep. hell apply? So as of three years ago, he was released and he is now a citizen of Canada with a different name. Um, and they let him go, even though he said that he heard the voice of God and wanted to save people from an alien attack.
0: So they gave him a different name too. Uh,
2: he changed his name. Um, I I forgot. I'm I'm sorry. I I did not write it down. Uh, what his name had been changed to. Um, but, uh, yeah, he got more like of an American sounding name.
0: Uh, I'm Jack won't cut your head off.
2: (laughs) Vincent. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Middle name. Won't. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, he was a smart guy. He was born in China. Um, he went to the Wuhan uh, Institute of Technology. He was a software engineer. Uh, so it wasn't like you know he wasn't just like some street guy or something like that. Um, you know, he was he was uh, he was a very uh, well educated guy, and he just unfortunately um, you know had had a mental breakdown, whatever, heard voices, or whatever happened to him. And unfortunately, uh, uh, Tim McLean was the victim of his one oopsies that, uh, oh, that yeah. So. oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but yeah. So,
1: and you, so Pretty you, good. you were just like serving people at a table and they were just like, Hey, did you hear this guy got hacked up on a bus? No, or... I, I, I
2: brought it up because they were sitting, you know, I'm like, where are you guys from? And they were there. Oh, we're from Canada and this and that. And I'm like, Holy crap. I just heard a story from Canada. Have you guys heard about this? And they were like, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we heard, I, you know, obviously I'm... I didn't go into so much detail with telling them this, but I was like,
1: only Holy you could crap, get away you know? with talking to your guests about that. Like They would look yeah, at right. me like I was complete psycho or something. But
2: How's your burgers? It cooked well? Great. Do you know about that dude who got his head sawed on?
1: <laughs> <laughs> on the bus. Anyway, um, it's more ranch? Right. Oh, my goodness. God. So, yeah,
2: I, I was um, pretty nuts. And, uh, you know, it, researching this story, which uh, I got my information from Wikipedia, from the BBC channel, and from globalnews.com. Um, but while I was, uh, doing this research, you know, obviously when you look up things, it says, uh, people also searched for, and I started up looking up all, um, a few of the other crimes that were kind of highlighted and, uh, man, it's, you can go down a very deep, dark hole doing that stuff. There's some really messed up and depraved, uh, things out there.
1: Well, Um, hopefully, hopefully you'll share it with us. Uh, in future episodes I'm I don't know excited. man
2: That's, I read that story <laughs> once and I'm like I don't think I ever want to read that again
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> and, yeah. Um, I actually you know because we had a choice of what to do I actually um, coming you know I, I, uh, for those listeners out there I just came back again from a trip uh, back to Connecticut and and uh, while I was back there, it made me think of a, of a bad crime that happened um, there, too. And it was the same thing. It was a robbery uh, that just kind of went bad. And this family was all just, just basically tied up and left for dead, uh, set the house on fire. And uh, it was really crazy hearing that story, too. So I was like, eh, this one I, I this one was a little bit more um, crazy-sounding. Uh, the other one, you know, terrible, ter- terrible story. Awful. But this one, it was just like, I, I don't know. It was definitely a wow story, especially because yeah. he got out. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. You, you know, have, you have your murder, and then your surprise.
2: Yeah, like, oh man! Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, surprise. He's living among you now. Yeah, exactly. So.
0: With a different name.
2: With a different name. So.
0: Don't worry. We took care so. of him and fed him for ten years. <laughs> now he's stronger than ever. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, have, oh, well, I definitely th- don't agree with, with thank that, you that thank shit. you for that's, sharing that's crazy yeah that's a Started. I remember I remember uh, watching the video footage of that because what <laughs> uh, this happened a long time ago and it was on the news um, and they had like they showed him like pacing back and forth because they had him surrounded for hours yes like like the cops the, like you said it was like one in the morning when he finally tried to break out. You know, yeah he, it was late. Yeah. yeah they had him around like they had They cost him there for hours and he's you know that's what that happens every time like when there's somebody with a knife they just let him like i don't know work it out i guess but yeah, yeah. that's that's crazy man that's I, I didn't know that was canada definitely wouldn't have guessed that yeah um, that was
2: uh those kinds of things don't happen there very often that's that's a trip
0: man yeah that was awesome and be careful um, on the bus there
2: was a couple of slogans that had to get changed and stuff they were talking about just kind of you know things that have changed because of this uh, you know what people tried to sue and stuff so there was some, definitely some repercussions of it but basically uh, yeah he, he did he did his time and got out so that's insane no, that, that's, and possibly saved us all from aliens
0: that's true yeah that's true yeah you never know that's what one of the guys that gave him the parole was thinking he's like I don't know man <laughs>
2: I oh, just watched honestly. Independence Day last night. He could be true. <laughs> oh, my oh shit, that's funny. Anyways, anyways, uh, so uh, Patrick, what
0: you got? So I'm gonna talk to you guys about uh, one that you guys might know. This is sort of a popular story, um, but this is I I wanted to um, find a murder that had like a like a surprise, like like a ghost story with it. You know. Um, this is a
1: haunted podcast So that's, that's good That's true, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: This works way better than my uh, uh, PDF on Your 401k um, <laughs> But then I'm going to talk to you about uh, Elva Zona Hester Okay um, guys... Sorry,
2: one more time
0: El- Elva Zona Hester What? Elva? Elva Is it Zona is
1: it Hester. Spanish or Brazilian or what is uh, this?
0: No, I'm just saying it's Spanish, I guess. Elva, no, Elva Zona heaster Hester, he, yeah, because heaster doesn't sound Spanish. That doesn't.
1: Is it Spanish?
0: No, I don't think so. Um, sorry, I didn't look. Oh it no. Yeah. Well, uh, but where
1: does this take place?
0: Um, West Virginia.
1: Oh, okay. Well, then it could be anything. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> also,
0: this takes place in Greenbrier County in 1873. This is a very, very old one. Okay. Um, But she grew up in Richlands, which is like a farming community in West Virginia. Um, And she, this is, uh, by the way, most of my information is from the Washington Post. Uh, They did an extensive article about this story. Um, So she had a child out of wetlock in 1895. And... Then she uh, met a drifter in 1896 named Erasmus Stribbling Stew. <laughs> oh, sorry. It oh, sounds
2: like a Dr. Seuss story, right? Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly, right? No, we, I don't know,
0: yeah. A uh, drifter named Erasmus Stribbling Stew, not stew. Who lived in a shoe. <laughs> uh, who lived in a shoe. Um, it's funny because they actually called him Trout um so yeah this is they a, him a, what? Trout? trout yeah trout? that's okay. what his friends awesome. called him yes that's what he went by was trout okay um now the, uh she met this uh drifter when he came to town and he was just seeking work as a blacksmith and he started working for a man named james crookshanks they fell in love and they got married and this was despite um elva's mother having a very strong objection to uh trout because she thought like he, he i don't know she just got a bad vibe from him i guess uh her mother something na-
2: seems kind of fishy
0: <laughs> ah! <laughs> nice thank you always always cue q- 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 on with sorry the, uh, I, I, with I have the a dad, dad I jokes. yeah no it's it's a, oh it's, it's important um her name was uh, mary jane hester And yeah, like I said, she was very, you know, she very much objected to the marriage, but they did get married. Um, in January 23rd, 1897, uh, Trout arrives at a random woman's house and he asks her if her son can go to his farm and collect some eggs and then ask his wife, Elva, if she needs anything from town. seems like a, you know, reasonable thing. It's like, 1890s, so you know that's something you did. I guess was
1: I wore you people know. more trusting, or I mean, also yeah. there's like not
0: phones and shit. You know, that's it's true. like you, you know you could probably have to be like, hey, can you go and ask my wife if she needs anything? Child
1: labor Because I'm, so. I'm going like
0: I'm going forty miles to town or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. on a horse. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. It seemed like a normal thing. Um, but so the boy goes, he gets some eggs, then he knocks on the door of Elva's house and no one answers. So he opens an unlocked front door and finds Elva Zona sprawled out on the floor, dead. Uh. He goes and runs and he tells Trout, uh, Trout freaks out and he immediately calls the town doctor who is of course also the town coroner. Um, yep. Right, it's a small town, yeah. So uh, and the
2: dentist and the right, yeah, yeah exactly. And the cow guy. <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: So Trout uh, moves his wife to their bed and changes her clothes to a high necked gown and scarf. Um. The coroner arrives, uh, Doctor George W. Knapp, and he uh, and Trout is there, you know, with the coroner holding. Um, Elvis' head and crying and sobbing and, and he's angry and you know obviously going through it. His wife's dead, um, and the doctor says that the cause of death is an everlasting faint, uh, which is uh, that way of you know the eighteen nineties way of saying a heart attack, basically. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. like everlasting faint.
0: an everlasting faint.
1: Not like she's. Uh, I would say in the Louisiana hysterical.
0: accent.
2: Apparently she died of skin failure.
0: Skin. Fa- <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, that was the thanks, Doctor Nick. That was the initial, um, um, not forecast. That was the initial uh, pro- diagnosis. Diagnosis. Prognosis. Is that where it's dead? diagnosis? Murder. Yeah. Uh, that was the oh, initial I... finding. We'll say. Okay. Um, yeah. Was everlasting faint or heart attack? Um, They eventually changed it to uh, complications of childbirth, which made absolutely no sense because they were only married for three months. She was pregnant, but um, she was not even showing, so it didn't really make sense. However, apparently George Knapp had treated her four weeks before um, for female trouble, as it was labeled
1: oh yeah Oh, well, she died of that how girly i labeled thing. it what's that i said she died of that girly thing that, g- <laughs> that you know that kills all women it
0: kills all women They get
1: hysterical and then they just die <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so um eventually of course uh, her mom mary jane finds out and she says in quotes the devil has killed her so, you know, she's she's maybe still not vibing with Trout. Um, so Trout, um, you know, put her in a coffin and sent her to Mary Jane's house and he had great devotion towards her. Apparently he was by her side constantly and during the wake he was not even allowing people to come close at all um yeah. he yeah <laughs> yeah i wonder why uh he placed a pillow on one side of her head and then a rolled up sheet on the other and this was so that she would rest easier is what he told people um so dun, 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 sorry um sorry i wanted to make sure i put the oh yeah he also tied a scarf around her neck and claimed that it was her favorite.
1: Sounds like he's trying to cover something up.
0: I mean, right, yeah, and especially constantly yeah. being by her side, like making sure people don't get don't near her. Don't get too her. close, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: she always wore that black
2: hood on her face. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> she liked it.
0: Um, so, Mary Jane Hester eventually uh, removed the scarf and the sheet to try to give it back to Trout, like, i don't know assuming that like i don't know maybe you need it like we're gonna bury this woman um and she said that um he refused you know saying that she should be buried with it or whatever and so she said that she washed it because it smelled kind of funky and the water was said to have turned red which in turn uh made the sheet pink and this was a stain that she couldn't remove and some people interpret this as part of the story where she thinks it's like a sign that something's wrong
2: um,
0: because the, the water turned red when she put the sheet in. Um, so she prayed for four weeks um, to Elva uh, or to God or somebody begging to know what happened. And according to legend, Zona appeared for four nights in a row. And Mary Jane Hester, um, she said that um, Elva explained that Trout had gone, you know, was super angry with her because Elva would not, did not put meat in the dinner that night. It was like all vegetables.
1: Damn vegetarians!
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no uh, meat and
2: no veggie make Jack go something.
0: <laughs> Seriously yeah. though,
1: like, ha, like okay, some,
0: so yeah, some some I'm, people I'm you st- know, I'm still bad, I know. you know. Like, I mean, I'm bad sometimes with fruit. Like, sometimes it's like it's just never been a part of my diet since I was young. You know, so the main main time I eat is with like smoothies and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, but, but no, you know, you and I both know from being vegetarian, like that people yeah, get people really super weird anti
0: or like angry about it you they know? get angry like, about it yeah like i'll tell my mom like oh yeah i are gonna you know eat some eggplant parmesan they're like oh well, doc, i mean i'm gonna eat a steak tonight and like all right it's not a competition or like right.
1: yeah
0: <laughs> okay people that's act like we're cool. poisoning them by yeah, feeding exactly. them vegetables yeah. i'm like
1: it's like it's mac and cheese i'm sorry it's not like <laughs> filled with lard okay
0: please don't please don't kill me yeah right <laughs> Brussels, Brussels. What this? <laughs> so yeah this was um um she said that in the dream i put a note up here she said that the dream that she appeared as a bright light and then gradually started taking form and she and the energy filled the room and then there was a cold chill and then right. for four nights in a row she told her you know trout has killed me you know yada 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 um so yada yada yada, trust you know, killed, trust me, killed bada, me. Bada bada big bada. <laughs> <laughs> that's lit. Uh, so so elbow was Italian then. Huh? <laughs> we figured it out. Nice. Oh my god. Um. <laughs> yeah. So he, so he, um, she was mad that, uh, or she said that he was mad that he didn't serve meat. So he grabbed her by the neck and squeezed until it broke. But. Uh, broke her neck between the first and second vertebrae. And this was apparently told to her in the dream as well. So Mary Jane Hester visits a prosecutor named John Alfred Preston with a few of her family members and actually convinces this guy to help her reopen this case. And George Knapp, uh, who's the person they first in, you know uh, investigate, like the prosecutors first go and interview George Knapp, the coroner, Slash doctor slash other guy, um, and they ask him about the autopsy, and he admits that he did a bad job. <laughs> he admits that the that trout was there holding her neck, kind of making it hard for him to do a good, you know, autopsy. Yeah. Um. I guess this is the 1890s, so you know, I don't know what a good autopsy exactly. And also, like, of.
1: most people took the husband's word for the wife over a lot of things for you know all the way up until like maybe 40 years ago that's
0: true you know
1: so like yeah like totally totally believable
0: Mm -hmm. so um after the the coroner admits that he did a bad job they actually um get the ability to exhume the body so they exhume the body on february 22nd 1897 and they apparently, by law, Trout has to be present. Um. So they, yeah, they uh, exhume the body, and uh, Trout has to be there, present. He has to be present by law. And he actually says he knows he will be arrested, but no one can prove it. Like before they even exhume the body, he says this. Um, so yeah, that's a good sign, right? Yeah. So they, they they perform a second autopsy in a one room schoolhouse, and they discover that her neck has been broken, her windpipe has been shattered, uh, there are marks of fingers, and there there uh, it has been her neck has been dislocated between the first and second vertebrae, as the ghost said. There are also torn ligaments, and so I mean it's pretty obvious that you know this. fingerprint you know everything and he's still he's still like nah, you got nothing so they charge him and arrest him and so trout is now in jail in louisburg virginia and um all of this stuff starts leaking out about trout's history because everybody the only reason they knew him was because of elva marrying him he just came to town all of a sudden to be a blacksmith Um, so people discovered that Elva was actually wife number three. His first marriage ended in a divorce because she accused him of great cruelty. He said, uh, basically there was a lot of physical abuse and she finally had enough of it. Uh, the second wife died of mysterious circumstances and that was, uh, only one year into the marriage. Um, trout was very proud that there would be absolutely no evidence and he was a, a giant asshole, basically, in jail. He uh, spoke of having seven women while while when he gets out of jail, that he was going to have seven wives. Like, I don't... I mean, maybe he was trying to pull the insanity thing and get out, get at, <laughs> yeah, get out right. in 10 years. Um, so they take him to trial on June twenty second, 1897. And they thought about, like, the uh, defense uh for uh trout just dis- thought to um you know they were going to question mary jane hester because you know she's the one that was seeing this ghost or whatever and this yeah. is really why the case reopened was because of this ghost's confession or whatever you know Right. so the lawyers think well let's talk to her about the ghost and make her seem crazy and you know, yeah. And but but apparently her story is like super solid and she's you know, she's very sure of herself. So it kind of backfires. And wow. the whole jury is people from this town that know Mary Jane and have talked to her separately about the ghost stories, too, you know, or just know of the story and this is 1890s too you know like
1: people are religious people are religious right. spiritualism, spiritualism right
0: stuff, we so. talked about that yeah like yeah, that's yeah. coming around too so most of the jury bought it they she was so strong and you know believable about it you know so the jury believed her so the judge was actually faced with kind of a difficult thing because he's he's trying to you know when you, you have to You know, when something gets dismissed from a case, you have to try and convince the jury, like, even though you heard this and it's bullshit, you you do, you know, you do need to remember to not pay attention to that because we we disregarded that as evidence. But once it's said, it's it's out there. Yeah, exactly. So the judge is trying to persuade the jury to ignore it, but they don't. They sentence him to life in prison. And that's on July 11th, 1897. There apparently was a lynch mob outside to hang him, but it didn't take. Uh, it was eventually dispersed. So they move him to West Virginia State Penitentiary in um, M- Mound- uh, Mount, sorry, uh, West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville, and he only stays there for three years because he dies in March thirteenth, nineteen hundred, and this was from ah. an unknown epidemic. And luckily he is buried in an unmarked grave. So nobody will know where he is. And he's not hanging uh, around. Everywhere. How do you hear about this story? Um, this is one that I the it's actually called the Greenbrier Ghost. <gasps> yeah, that's why I, I, I didn't say story! it. Yeah, that's why I didn't oh, say it like that. Oh no. There was actually a drunk history of this that was actually really oh, funny too.
1: Crazy. I heard about this on Weird History. Um,
0: but the, the real the real big uh, thing about this case was this was the first time uh, I mean, an apparition was used to "quote unquote" solve a murder.
1: It's all clicking in my head. I totally yeah. know this story. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Um, but yeah, so it's it's really really interesting, and it kind of uh, also made me think of like other ghost um, trial in- involvements. I guess um, there was a haunting in Florida where uh, the owner of the this restaurant said that um, they can't honor the lease anymore because the building had a ghost problem, and so the owner of the complex offered to give them an exorcism for free on the property. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it was obviously you know just a ploy to get out of it. Yeah. Um, the you know the murder house uh, from American Horror Story. Yeah. Apparently, the buyers of the three point two million dollar murder house claim that it is not. It is haunted by American horror story fans because uh, they they were not aware of the house's connection to the show and so they're constantly harassed by you know trespassers and people taking pictures and so they, so they apparently, yeah so they apparently sued the realty company because uh you know that wasn't disclosed, that it was actually the murder
1: house. Oh, crazy. Uh, that's,
0: that's hilarious. So you a... have to
2: tell the fire that there was a murder in it. or are like, well, there wasn't a real murder. It was filmed as murder house, though. <laughs>
0: that's like, Wait that's a so minute. Funny. We thought we were getting a haunted house. <laughs> that's, that's so funny.
2: By the way, many, many, many people died here, but it was all fake. Wow. Um, all of it was fake. Another... Uh, you're talking about the uh, first season, right? Murder house first season? Um, yeah.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: It does come that's back, though, does come back, later, uh, later, in later in
2: Apocalypse. Right. Stay tuned. Right
1: which i'm watching um, right now and it's amazing
0: another, <laughs> another uh, paranormal lawsuit uh in 1917 seven years after mark twain died uh somebody wrote a novel uh claiming they were mark twain uh communicating uh they were a medium that was communicating mark twain And they actually wrote a book and they were trying to publish it. But the people that um, Harper and Brothers that owned the publishing rights for Mark Twain's books when he was alive were like, well, if that's Mark Twain speaking through you, then we own the publishing rights for that. Um, So it it kind of backfired a little bit, you know, Like if this person was totally bullshitting. Uh, But I just thought that was really funny. That's so great. Are these
2: just other instances of ghosts being used in real life, kind of thing?
0: Yeah, of just um, like yeah, d- lawsuits basically,
2: lawsuits and I, I w- crime. I think. Okay, yeah, I, I, and it's all quote unquote using the uh, the uh, paranormal to use in their like uh, their their case or whatever. Right,
0: or as an excuse. Yeah, I wanted to kind of Got focus it. on that. It yeah.
2: wasn't me. It was the
1: ghost of the pirate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, what see. was another one that no, was? No, read really them funny.
1: all. Yeah, read all of them. <laughs> I, this is so interesting.
0: Um, oh, yeah, this one was funny. Stambofsky versus Ackley uh, is an actual case, which is frequently printed in contract and property law textbooks, which is also known as the Ghostbusters ruling. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it held that quote a house which the owner had previously advertised to the public as haunted by ghosts legally was haunted for the purpose of an action for rescission brought by a subsequent purchaser of the house so it's basically kind of disclosing that uh, you have you have experienced ghost activity in the house
1: you can't take it um, back so you afterwards yeah
0: yeah i mean it's kind of i mean that's something that yeah they put into like realty things now or, uh... Wait,
2: so say, so basically what you're saying is that once they say it's haunted then you have to say it's haunted?
0: Um, yes. Okay. Yeah.
2: If you put it out to the public that your house is haunted, you have to tell the buyers. The you have house to tell the
0: buyers, yeah. Got it. Yeah. But there's also like a few other disclosure rules. Like there's a certain amount of years that I can't remember. I think it was like 7 or something that after 7 years you can um you can you don't have to disclose a lot of things. Like if it's older than 7 years. Uh, I can't remember if that's the actual number, though. So I'm going to edit all that out. That was pointless we'll, to say.
1: We'll ask our roommate. She's studying real estate right now. So. <laughs> um,
0: oh, J- Jessica?
1: Yeah, Jessica. Nice.
2: Dun,
0: dun, dun, Not the cats. <laughs> um, a Salem witch sued a New Orleans warlock for years of harassment. Uh, but that's... Nah, that's, uh, that doesn't... Mean, I mean, I that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what, harassment is the... What
2: like the dead side of things? It, it <laughs> like, you're like.
0: It, it didn't seem like it, no.
2: <laughs> dressing my dead uncles and
1: aunts or something? Wait, what's this one? NASCAR till death?
0: A woman sued her church for refusing to display her dead husband's NASCAR themed couch shaped tombstone. Like, <laughs> as one does. Nice. <laughs> um, an Ohio appellate court recently handed down an interesting decision in a case involving a haunted Ohio farm. The owner of the Staley farm. Uh, brought a lawsuit against the authors of a book called weird ohio
1: oh that's a series it's like that's a series right, yeah. of books the weird books
0: um, dun, dun, dun. yeah none of, none of these are all cool, yeah.
1: oh that's it
0: <laughs> yeah oh wait i forgot to mention um this was, uh, I'm going to insert this later on, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely want to mention this. So this is an actual, uh, testimony that was printed, uh, that the news, the local newspaper was there for the, the trial. So this is kind of cool. Um, so the attorney, this is the attorney in interrogating, uh, Mrs. Hester, uh, Mrs. Hester, are you positively sure that these visits are not just for dreams? Yes, sir. It was not a dream. I don't dream when I am wide awake, to be sure, and I know I saw her right there in front of me. Uh, Are you not considerably superstitious? No, sir, I'm not. I was never that way before, and I am not now. Do you believe the scriptures? Yes, sir. I have no reason not to believe it. And do you believe the scriptures contain the words of God and his son? Yes, sir, I do. Don't you believe it? Now I would like, if I could, to get you to say that these were four dreams and not four visions or appearances of your daughters in flesh and blood. I am not going to say that. I am not going to lie. So that was, like, her, her key testimony, She's I guess. She's pretty adamant, that, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I believe that. That, that was. Uh, I just thought that was interesting, too, to hear actual testimony from 18... 1900 or whatever
1: so uh just warning you ahead of time usually i do eight to ten pages and i have 15 pages in front of me so here we go <laughs> buckle in guys
0: That's sure i counted it by flip book seconds
1: yeah so. my, i'll go i'm gonna go my
0: movie is 20 seconds long so.
1: without rushing i'm gonna go through it as quickly as possible but i do want to leave a lot of this information in because it is very interesting at least to me um, so I'm doing um, the story of um, Juliet Hulme and Pauline Parker. Um, I first learned about this story from a movie called Heavenly Creatures by Peter Jackson. It was made in 1994. Uh, it's one of Kate Winslet's first movies. Good movie. um, Yeah, it's great. It's really good. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. So, uh,
2: Winona Ryder. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um,
1: Kate Winslet. Uh, And I wish I'd know the other actress's name, but she's, uh, she's in Detroit Rock City. She's in Ever After. Uh, (laughs) Detroit Rock City. That's a good movie, too. She's, uh, she's, um, Beth in Detroit Rock City. Oh,
2: God. I I, I don't remember that movie yet.
1: Oh, I know that movie by heart. She (laughs) is the one that...
2: All I remember is Disco Sucks!
1: Uh, when Jam loses his virginity in the confession booth. He's... That's Beth. Um... So anyways, uh, um, I got most of my information uh, from a YouTuber named Stephanie Harlow, who does a wonderful three hour documentary on this. Uh, She got most of her information from Anne Perry, Crime of the Century, a book by Peter Graham. Um, So yeah, let's just get into it. So uh, Juliet Marion Hume was born in Greenwich, London on October 28th, 1908. Oh, she's a Scorpio. Um, her father was Henry Ranford Hulme. Uh, he came from a comfortable middle class family. Henry was incredibly intelligent. He studied quantum physics. Uh, in 1936, he held a position at the University of Liverpool, where he met Hilda Reedley. Three years his junior. Uh, she was not, you know, as sophisticated as him, but she uh, at least acted like she was. She claimed that she had uh, ancestors of noble birth, but this couldn't ever actually be proven later on. Um, and they seemed like complete opposites. Hilda was a socialite, she was outgoing, she was very confident. And Henry, well, he was rather reserved. Um, Eventually, he becomes chief assistant to the Astronomer Royal, and uh, so they have to move to London, Uh, and this is when Hilda discovers that she is pregnant uh, with Juliet. So, World War II is on the horizon. This is around 1938, Uh, so they purchased something that's called an Anderson Structure. Uh, Most families were given these, but if you were wealthy, you had to purchase it. It's basically a small bomb shelter that you'd have in your garden. So uh the Hume's had one in their backyard. Um so Hilda was very social, but she was not a very warm mother to her daughter. She never really wanted to have children. So uh basically Juliet kind of got uh ignored a lot. Uh she would have hired a nanny if she could have, but due to the war, there weren't many women that were available to have work in that sense. Most women were working for the war effort. Oh, yeah. So uh, Hilda had to take care of Juliet herself. On uh, September 3rd, 1939, Henry uh, was brought to the University of London to work on mine de Gra- in the Mine de Grousing unit. So this was uh, to protect British ships. So he basically... Came up with the technology that uh, would deflect mines from attacking British ships. So it uh, it was. So when mines would, you know, have the magnetic attraction to the British ships, they would go through a certain area that had mines, and the mines would attach to the British ship. He came up with the technology to, I guess, deflect the magnetic, detract the or. Yeah. Am I saying that right? To deflect the uh, magnetic currency and protect the ships. So, yeah. He also worked on the Manhattan Project, which I'll get into a little bit uh, in just a second here. So, on September 7th, 1940, 350 German bombers began to drop bombs on London, uh, which would continue for nine months. Hilda chose not to leave London because she wanted to be seen. She wanted to be uh, social. Uh, So she chose not to leave, you know, the major city, London. Uh, It might or it has been uh, rumored or I guess claimed that Juliet may have lived with her grandparents for a while. But mostly people think that uh, Hilda kept Juliet with her throughout this entire time when most children were sent away because, well, bombs are falling on London. Um, So the next winter, Hilda becomes pregnant with her her son, Jonathan, uh, and an aggressive bombing begins on their house. Hilda and Juliet run to the Anderson shelter. Uh, Hilda ran first. Uh, Juliet, being about uh, three years old, was running behind her. Uh, trying to catch up, and Juliet gets to the, um sorry, Hilda gets to the bomb shelter first and can't make it in. She gets stuck in the doorway, uh, and so Juliet can't make it into the bomb shelter at all, and Juliet has to hide under a bush for hours in the snow as bombs are falling uh, on the city around them. Because of this, Juliet gets something called bomb shock, which would be Today would be known as PTSD. Mm -hmm. And she also develops pneumonia on both of her lungs. Um, After Juliet or after Hilda has her son, Jonathan, she has severe postpartum depression and has to go to the hospital, has to be hospitalized for some time. And she leaves Juliet home alone during this time. So but Juliet's only maybe three or four years old, having to take care of herself. Uh, eventually Juliet, uh, Juliet was sent to Barbados to get well. Uh, when she came back, she was described as incredibly clingy to her mother. Well, of course, cause you know, she's wanting love and she's during these critical moments of her life, she's being sent away constantly or ignored or being left in the snow, <laughs> you know? Uh, so this was definitely cramping Hilda style. Uh, When she is six, she gets bronchitis and is then sent to the Bahamas again to get well. And she is in bed for two years of her life. Uh, Wow. Yeah. So because Henry Hume no longer wanted to work on the Manhattan Project, uh, he applies to work as a rector, which would be the director of uh, uh, the University in Christchurch, New Zealand, so at eight, Julia is sent to the Bay of Islands uh, months before the family would get there. So this is in New Zealand. And she's sent ahead um, of the rest of the family from the Bahamas um, because the family's going to come later, which to me sounds weird. Um, it's many months before her family gets there. They didn't even have set in stone plans to go to New Zealand before they had sent Juliet to the island they're like just go to the island maybe he'll get the job we'll make some plans we'll get there we'll meet up with you Mm -hmm. but she's only eight years old uh so when Hilda and Henry come to New Zealand they are like these social celebrities and everybody's excited because Henry is so smart uh and he is a godsend to this town he's overqualified for this rector job they're very excited for him to be there and Hilda is the socialite and she's been described as so beautiful and proper, um, but quickly that wears off and they find that Henry is incredibly boring and Hilda is a very cold and cruel snob. Uh, Juliet did not fit in with her family because she basically grew up away from her family, but she did grow up to be a very beautiful young woman. She was described as being tall like her father and cool and calm like her mother. Uh, and at this point she had a very vast imagination, uh, which had all these all this cast of characters in her imagination. She had a lot of imaginary friends in this whole world that they had lived in, this whole universe that she had created in her mind, mostly from being alone most of her life. Uh, so uh, she was quiet, but would act out plays sometimes. Uh, she didn't really like her brother, but when they were getting along, they would act out plays together and Juliet would always be the king or the queen or the princess and he would always be the lesser role. Um, so she's then sent to queen- Queenswood boarding school, which is six hours travel away from her parents. Again, they're sending her away. She goes to 10 different schools. Uh, her kid is... She traveled, uh, traveled by about 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's sent to Queenswood boarding school at 10, which is six hours away. She goes to 10 different schools. Uh, at one point, uh, she is brought home to their home in Alam, the homestead where they were living. And she's given an IQ test. Uh, and she scores a 170 on her IQ test, which is pretty high for somebody who is 10, 11 years old at this time. In 1952, she becomes a student at Christchurch High School, um, which is a very good public school. Um, They sent her here so that she could be academically challenged. Um, Hilda was also on the board of governors at this school. Juliet doesn't make friends right away because she, even though she's been isolated, and neglected she thinks very highly of herself and i believe this is like a sort of coping mechanism that she's convinced herself that she's better than everyone because no one's ever praised her in her life her parents are very critical of her uh, hilda is very snobbish and isn't impressed by anybody and very cold as a mother so juliet to cope with that basically thinks herself superior and smarter and oh I'm so special you know I'm better than anybody else so she doesn't really make friends with any of the girls at the school even though they were trying to make friends with her um she's very beautiful and they wanted to be her friend but she does meet a loner a girl uh who is described so she meets Pauline Parker she's described as a loner with a permanent scowl so Pauline Parker is basically the complete opposite of Juliet Hume Uh, and her family life is similar in ways, but mostly quite different. So uh, Pauline's parents are Burt Reaper uh, and Honora, uh, Honora Reaper. I mean, sorry, Honora Parker. Uh, So um, up to this point, Sorry. Let me start over. Edit that. <laughs> so, I did call her pa- Pauline Parker, even though her father's last name is Reaper, but I'll get into that later. But as far as Pauline is concerned, most of her life she was Pauline Reaper. Okay? You mm-hmm. following so far? Yep. Everybody's good? Okay. I think
2: so. Yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of names here. A lot of names. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> no, no, Juliet's I, I parents
1: are Hilda and Henry and they're Hilda and Henry are the parents. intelligent socialites. Right. Uh, Bert Reaper and Honora Parker are Pauline Parker's parents. Uh, and they're kind of middle cl- or lower class uh, family. So Bert was married to a woman named Louisa and had two sons with her. Uh, Honora's father was uh, was committed to a mental asylum at one point, uh, Bert and Honora met in Ratiki, New Zealand, uh, where Bert worked for an account accounting firm and Honora worked there as well. He was 14 years older than her. Um, he, uh, he claimed that he was um, in a miserable marriage and so runs away with this girl who's 14 years younger than him. Uh, he gives her a ring, but they aren't actually ever married. Uh, on in July nineteen thirty one, they rented a villa in St. London, New Zealand, and because the it was rented in um, Bert Reaper's name, they were the police were able to track him down. Apparently, it was a crime to uh, ditch your wife and kids, so he is arrested. Uh. Yeah, he's arrested for failure to keep his wife and kids, which is what they called. So from then on, uh, all the property that's ever purchased is put into, uh, Honora's name. Uh, Honora, uh, she goes by Honora Reaper, which wasn't her real name because, well, she's never married. Uh, they have a baby, a baby, uh, their first baby boy does not survive more than a day. Uh, their second child, a girl named Wendy grew up. She was perfectly healthy. She was great. She's their golden child. And then their third child is Pauline, who was born on May 26, 1938. Uh, when Pauline is five, she develops osteomelentite It is an inflammation of the bone marrow in what and she gets it in one leg. It's due to infection. And she's kept in the hospital for eight months and has several surgeries. Uh, two years of daily dressings of her leg, and afterwards she has a noticeable limp and constant pain. And she's how old at this point? Uh, Five years old is when she develops this. So from five to seven, basically, she's suffering this and almost a year, or more than half a year, she's in the hospital. Wow. So, yeah. Troubling childhood. Um, so, uh, they moved to a house in the center of the city, um, with the intention to take in borders to gain some sort of supplemental income, uh, and the family, most families lived in the suburbs. So at one point, Pauline is the only student in her class. Um, she's actually the only student in her class for two years, um, because most families don't live in the center of the city. Uh, the family had trouble making ends meet. Honora ends up having to work as a secretary. So she's out of the house most of the time. Uh, Honora gives birth at 42 to a girl named Rosemary who had Down syndrome. And Rosemary is sent away to, uh, Templeton Farms, uh, where they could take care, care of her at this farm. But the Reapers did go and visit. They were actually very good about that. They visit Rosemary on Sundays and holidays. So anyways, getting back to these two girls. Uh, In 1952, Pauline starts attending Christ Church High School. Uh, Juliet and Pauline become friends because... Uh, They are exempt from most physical activities at school, so they were the two kids sitting out on the sidelines where everyone else was doing sports or other physical activities, and because of this, they start to talk to each other. Uh, They bond over their similar illnesses, uh, and Pauline is absolutely taken by Juliet. She's never seen anybody like this before. So Pauline and Juliet start to write poems and stories together, And Juliet introduces Pauline to this whole cast of characters that she has as part of her imagination. While they're friends together, they write uh, six books together. Uh, They start having daily journal entries. Pauline especially has a diary that she starts keeping every single day, which will come in play a little later. Um, And Pauline starts spending a lot of time at the Hulme's house because they live in this great estate and she lives in a boarding house with a bunch of strangers and her family's hardly ever there. So this makes her start to resent her own family because she sees how well off Juliet and her family has it. She starts to get really angry at her family for not, you know, this isn't, this is out of their control, you know, you know, but she's like, why aren't you like these other people? Um, There is one account of them dancing naked in the woods and they rode bikes home together naked. So they start kind of acting out, but like little girls would in this like whole fantasy land. But this starts to raise some questions also because homosexuality is uh, illegal at this time. So these girls become incredibly close. Um, Pauline would complain about her home life to Juliet and they would sit and sob together. Um, so, uh, so they had a fairly normal friendship for the first couple months. They wrote, they did their plays, they rode on Juliet's horse, um, and Juliet at this point is definitely the domineering personality over the two of them. They would stay up all night writing. They got very little sleep throughout most of their friendship. They're not getting a lot of sleep because they're just so high on each other all the time. And writing about the this uh, incredible world that they're starting to create together. Pauline would often sneak out of the house to go to Juliet's home and they would stay up all night. Uh, in January 1953, Pauline's family takes in four boarders. Uh, one boarder is a gentleman named Nicholas and Pauline would have a relationship with him on and off uh, later on. So this is definitely something that she's hiding from her family. Uh, throughout the time Nicholas is staying there and even after he ends up leaving the house. Um, But the boarders uh, would help Pauline with her schoolwork and her writing skills. So she became a rather good writer and could hold her own next to Juliet, who's extremely intelligent. Uh, Juliet uh, and Pauline are inseparable. They're seen holding hands and kissing at school. And so the school becomes concerned Uh, but their parents at this point don't think anything of it. Um, Pauline went to the, with the Hulmes on one of their Easter holidays. So she starts going on trips with this family and Pauline starts to see the Hulmes as her own family. So Hilda Hulme entertains the whole idea that Pauline, you're just part of our family now, you know? Uh, so, uh, on Good Friday, the girls get up, uh, to look at the sunrise and this is the time where they have this uh this like otherworldly experience and they find the key to the fourth world a heavenly place so in their world of characters that they're creating that's called the kingdom of barovnia and these characters become more and more complex as they go and as this relationship is uh developing and then the characters start to get kind of violent at one point um which we'll get into a little bit Uh, most of these characters are based off of famous movie actors um they have a cast of saints and gods as well throughout this one of them is james mason who they were obsessed with um and they start to get this in their head that they're gonna go to hollywood And one of them is going to marry James Mason and they're going to turn all their wonderful stories into movies. So, you know, normal little girl stuff at this point though, but starting to get kind of out of hand. And we're
2: like 14, 15.
1: Um, yeah, uh, yeah, 14 and 15, I think at this point. So
0: those naked bike rides,
1: those are a gateway. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) so uh right before the humes plan this trip to london and to america juliet gets tuberculosis and her parents and little brother still go on the trip without her and they leave juliet uh at the at a sanatorium pauline uh would tell juliet i wish i had tuberculosis too then we could be in the sanatorium together juliet is put into the sanatorium for 112 days and Pauline and her family would be the only ones to go and visit her. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so. Sorry, honey, we were on vacation. Yeah. What do you want from us? Right? So uh, at this point, Pauline starts to write to Juliet every single day. But they're not writing as Pauline and Juliet. They're writing as their characters from their story, which is uh, Charles would be Juliet and Lance would be Pauline. Oh, they're playing guys. I didn't know that. Also, at some point, they stop calling each other Juliet and Pauline. They go by Deborah and Gina. So uh, if you hear me say Deborah or Deborah, uh, that's Juliet and Gina is Pauline. And they Mm -hmm. even convince their parents to start calling them these names.
0: Oh, creepy. Yeah, it's
1: very strange. Um...
0: I tried to go by Blade when I was younger.
1: Oh, God. No, I really I'm, did. I'm, my parents
0: didn't take to it. <laughs> that was oh before my God. the movie. It was before it was cool.
1: Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, as Lance and Charles, they're sending letters to each other. And during this time, uh, Pauline writes a rather strange letter to, uh, or Lance writes a strange letter to Charles, uh, Pauline to Juliet basically mentioning that one day she would like to kill someone she thinks it is something uh that they would like to do it was a necessary experience for life just a matter of fact thing um but this is lance saying it to charles uh at some point hilda hume starts to have an affair with a man named bill perry uh it's possibly rumored that it was a throuple between um, Hilda, Henry, and Bill Perry. So, these are Juliet's parents having this situation go down, you know, which A is... swinger action. But it's only adding to, like, the unstableness at home and the confusion as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pauline starts to sneak out to see Nicholas, uh, at his new house, and she hides this relationship from Juliet. Juliet doesn't find out about this till much, much, much later, um... When Juliet returns home, however, uh, Pauline writes in her diary that she is no longer in love with Nicholas and this entry is on Juliet's birthday. So but she kind of sees Nicholas a little bit after the fact. But she doesn't love him. So Juliet and Pauline make a list of people they would allow to live if they had the power to wipe out the world. Uh yeah you know um I mean I feel like I had like burnless too like as a kid this isn't that strange yeah, you know not, yeah maybe not as intense as that but
0: you mm. know yeah I mean you had to, that was back when you had to depend on your imagination a lot more you know yeah kids got video games yeah. and TV and stuff nowadays yeah
1: so Pauline uh begins to lose weight she becomes depressed she has these extreme highs and lows. So the Hilms are concerned about this and the relationship between Pauline. So Pauline starts to lose weight. She becomes depressed. She has these extreme highs and lows. Uh, and the Helms, uh start to become concerned about this. So Juliet's parents are concerned about Pauline's relationship to Juliet and the fact that Pauline is losing weight, even though they're not her parents. And they end up sending uh, their family friend, Dr. Bennett, to Pauline to, uh, assess her, uh, which is very strange. They're not her parents. They're sending this doctor to, uh, to assess her. Pauline describes Dr. Bennett as a halfwit and a bloody fool. And, uh, (laughs) but he says there's no physical reason for the weight loss and found her strange and had a homosexual attachment to Juliet. So, uh, Honora who is um, Pauline's mother says that she can't see Juliet until she Gains at least one stone, which is about 14 pounds Um, So Pauline is also forbidden to see Nicholas at this point Uh, But tell but Paul honora tells Pauline that if she behaves she could go and see Nicholas but when she starts behaving It never happens. So Pauline doesn't trust her mother at this point. You know, she pretty much figures out that her mother's just saying these things to get her way. Um, And Pauline and Juliet are separated that whole summer all the way until January. Um, Pauline does not go with the Humes on their Christmas holiday, which is devastating to Pauline. Hilda Hume moves Bill Perry into their guest home. So that's happening. That's a thing. Uh and on January 18th, uh the Queen visits uh Christchurch, which is a huge deal for the town, but these girls are not impressed by the Queen because she's not from Borovnia. They're made up town <laughs> or made-up uh, world. Uh on January 23rd. Uh, Pauline is finally allowed to see Juliet again, and they fantasize about running away, becoming prostitutes, and they start to make their official plans, uh, to go to Hollywood. They celebrate He's Day, which is Mario Lanza. So these gods are called He, Him, Her, and It, and they're all represented of different, um, different... Uh, actors. So Mario Alonzo is he, and so they celebrate he's day, which is Mario Alonzo's birthday, and they eat cake, and they drink champagne, and they laugh all night, and basic little girl stuff. Still. I keep saying that, but it's getting more and more. Um, yeah, I'm like... Uh i don't but know
2: i did some weird
1: yeah i did some weird stuff with my friends as a kid you know like we definitely like played strippers you know and stuff and had our like little feather boas or stupid dumb stuff like that you know
2: mm-hmm. well me and pat when we hang out we always think about trying to be prostitutes and getting out to hollywood too and this is
1: like
2: <laughs> wow girls do that too that's so weird
1: uh i remember like acting out like births and stuff as a kid like I don't know (laughs) but I also had like an intense like friend like this where we had like kind of a fantasy world and stuff and you know my friend moved away at one point and then I kind of made other friends and then went to middle school and grew up so yeah let me keep going with the story so (laughs) anyways at one point uh Okay, on February 18th, Pauline is again forbidden to see Juliet again because she is losing weight once again, and she writes in her diary, why could not mother die? She uh. she buys a horse in secret, so she has a secret horse at this point, uh, and her parents find out, but they let her keep it, so... Um, at the end of February, uh, she, they come up with official plans to run away to Hollywood, marry James Mason, and becomes friends with Ava Gardner and Marilyn Monroe. Um, Um, yeah, it's it's just going to happen, you know, to the secret horse, (laughs) (laughs) uh, in mid-March, the parents basically just give up and start letting the girls hang out again, uh, in march pauline and wendy get into an argument and honora forbids pauline from going back to school um and also at this point Juliet has dropped out of school as well because she's too sick to go back to school um so neither of them are in school uh just more time for them to be together on march 3rd 1954 harry hume resigns from canterbury college uh he so he wants this engineering school and he wants to build this engineering school in Canterbury College. But they believe that they have a great engineering program. And so basically it's this whole thing where he's kind of muscled out of the school. So now he no longer has his position here in New Zealand. Um, and uh, the family's gonna end up moving somewhere else. But that hasn't quite been decided yet. So Juliet and Pauline start sleeping in bed together and having baths together. Uh, they don't sleep and they stay up talking all night. Uh, the, the children start to, okay. So Pauline and Juliet start to realize that Hilda is now having an affair with Bill Perry. So they make plans to blackmail them, uh, for money for their Hollywood trip. Uh, Hilda and Bill and Henry go to, Oh, oh yeah, they start, oh yeah, and I remember Bill Perry actually ends up giving Juliet $100 to hush her up uh, about all of this, which is like also playing into their ideas, oh, this is going to work out for us, or we can just blackmail them, we can do these things, and it works out, Um, and also starts to change their moral compass a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. Um, Hilda, Bill and Henry go to the movies one day which also plays into the idea that they're a thruple um, and uh, the girls take pictures of each other nude uh, to send to Hollywood so they're just going to mail these pictures off to Hollywood and then they're going to be famous Dear Mr.
2: Hollywood right, yeah, yep.
0: Exactly,
2: these are my boobs Yeah. Hello John Q.
1: Public But I remember like being like little and you know, doing like cute, sexy poses and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, but that's
2: it's the like, key word little. These girls are 16, and th- 15, 16 years
1: old. Yeah, but they've not had a proper childhood. You know, they've been sick, and they've been in the hospital, they've been neglected. Mm-hmm. So it definitely warps their reality. You know, they definitely, and warped their feeling of regular emotions. At least I you feel
2: like that maybe their mentality was a lot younger at this point?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. The, they're, especially they're, like, Juliet.
2: They're, they're you 15, know. but they kind of more like on the spectrum of being like 12 or 13. Yeah.
0: Well, especially staying in their fantasy world for so long, you know, like they're, yeah. not, they're not, they're not dealing with, you know, real life problems or anything yeah. or adapting. But just especially Juliet never had. world. Yeah.
1: yeah, Juliet never had like a real childhood. That you know. There you go too. So, yeah. this is the time when they're being children finally. Um On April twenty third, Juliet finds her mother in bed with Bill Perry drinking tea together. Okay. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's uh, what
0: they
1: call it. Hilda tells Juliet that her and Bill Perry and the father are actually a throuple. Um, and Juliet tells Bill that oh, and this is the point where she. Tells Bill and uh, that Pauline and her are gonna blackmail him for money, and he gives her a hundred pounds. Um, but later on, he would deny that this ever happened. The next day, Henry confronts the girl about the girls about their plans to go to America, and then uh, he announces that the Humes are actually going to be moving to South Africa, uh, and whether Pauline is going uh, to is not made quite clear um so uh the plan though was to uh leave juliet at a boarding school in south africa and then the humes would uh end up leaving and going to london that was the actual plan yeah uh the humes plan to divorce but they want to leave new zealand first so on april 28th the girls take a bath. And Pauline, while they're taking a bath, she comes up with this idea uh, that she is going to remove her mother from the equation because she sees in her mind that her mother is the only thing keeping her from being part of the Hume's family, you know? And so at this point, Juliet and Pauline are planning on running away at some point to Hollywood. But Juliet's father... Uh, is going to divorce Juliet's mother, but they want to leave New Zealand before the word gets out and their reputations get tarnished. Um, so the plan is that they're going to leave New Zealand, go to South Africa for a bit, put Juliet at a boarding school in South Africa, and then they would divorce and go their separate ways. Pauline has it in her mind that, oh, I'm going with the Hulmes to South Africa. We're going to all live in South Africa together. Pauline's mother is like, uh-uh, no, you're not. You're staying here. You're part of this family. So Pauline gets it in her head that, well, if mother just disappeared, uh, then, you know, could I good. could be with this family and everything's going to be okay. So on April 28th, while the girls are taking a bath, Pauline, Pauline starts to come up with this idea. She doesn't tell Juliet right away about it, but writes it in her diary. Uh, and the next day she calls Juliet on the phone and they talk for two hours. And this is when she tells the plan that weekend, Pauline visits the Hulmes, uh, and Hilda actually shows Pauline a ring that she got from Bill Perry and alludes to the fact that Pauline is going to go with them, uh, to South Africa and eventually to London. So she says something along the lines like, won't it be great when we're all together in London? To Pauline, so Hilda's not helping, you know, mm-hmm. with this. Uh her along. Yes, on May seventh, uh, they go to see a movie called The Man Between, and the next day, that for some reason they give up on their idea of going to Hollywood, uh, and instead plan that they are going to London with the family or South Africa, uh, and they also. It also says here that they start talking in random accents now. Um, So I think they start trying to practice talking like they're from South Africa or from London to people. Uh, Very, very strange. Hmm. But, you know, I don't know. I know kids who act British and stuff. And um, (laughs) on May 21st, they go into town and they uh, start shoplifting. Uh, They shop shoplift gifts for Pauline's family. Uh, And Pauline at this point decides that she has no conscience and she gives these gifts to her family as kind of a slight to her family. Her family thinks that she's, you know, starting to be nice again and everything's great and what a wonderful thing, but she's like, ha ha, that's still in merchandise in her mind. Ah. On May 24th, henry hume moves uh his resignation plans up and this spoils the plans for the girls uh so they're gonna leave a lot sooner than originally intended uh the girls start to believe that they're telepathic and that they are quite mad uh in june on june in 1954 hilder gives her daughter the talk so now they're old enough to start learning about sex. And Hilda talks to uh, Juliet about sex. Of course, Juliet talks to Pauline about it. But from what I have understood, that Pauline was already kind of having a sexual relationship with Nicholas. But she hasn't told Juliet about this. But now, uh, but now the talk of sex has come up between Pauline and Juliet. And... Uh, so, Pauline lies to her parents about getting a job so she can stay at Julie, Juliet's house longer that weekend. Uh, and after going to see the film uh, Trent's Last Case with Orson Welles on June 11th, uh, Orson Welles, who's one of their saints, of course, uh, they go back to Juliet's home and start to reenact how the saints would have sex. So, they spend like a few days actually uh, at Juliet's home sleeping over and pretending to be these saints and reenacting how these saints would have sex with each other. They d- they don't actually have sex from what they've claimed much later. It's just like an act, but it's very vague. So uh, they wake up the next morning and they add a bunch of saints to their list, including Robert Wagner, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Monday night they continue to have their game, and as well all into Tuesday night. Then Wednesday they come up with the plan to moiter mother. Uh, they refer to it as moiter, which I think is probably something they learned from a film. Um, oh
2: yeah, like, yeah, it's really like a gangster thing. Yeah, exactly. Gangster films, yeah. exactly.
1: But it also doesn't make it moiter. quite real. Like it's funny and it's a game, you know. Right uh
2: it softens the blow
1: yeah uh so saturday the family pick up pauline uh and she acts quite happy but uh stays up writing all night long on may 9th uh henry tells pauline that he is going to write a letter to pauline's mother asking if she can go with them to south africa uh but as far as we know the letter is never written so yeah these parents—they're not very trustworthy, you know. They say they fill their kids' heads with these notions and these ideas. Uh, they say one thing, but they do another thing, you know, quite often. Um, so, uh, so he ends up telling uh, Honora instead Juliet or Pauline's mother that he's actually taking Juliet away. On June 20th, uh, they solidify their plans and together they are going to take, uh, Honora to, uh, the Victoria park and they're going to walk down a path. Juliet would drop a pink stone onto the ground. Uh, and as Honora is, uh, bending over to look at the stone that, oh, look, there's a stone that I just found on the ground here. They were going to hit Honora over the head with a sandbag and they're going to say it's an accident. Yeah. The sandbag fell out of the sky. I was about yeah. to say,
0: they were underneath the sandbag tree. <laughs> oh, it's a ripe sandbag. Yeah.
1: Um, so on Monday, Pauline helps her mother clean the house, and this is when she invites her mother uh, to tea in the park. Uh, Juliet calls, and they change their plans from a sandbag to a brick that's going to be in a stocking.
0: It oh, has dang. stockings. Yeah, Ooh, and they're gonna swing it around. Full yeah, little jacket. That's oh god.
1: Tuesday morning, Pauline writes in her diary about the day of the day of the happy event, comparing the night before uh, to the night before Christmas. So Juliet grabs a half brick from a pile by her house and wraps it in a newspaper. Juliet is dropped off at the Reaper home, and the whole family, uh, including Juliet, have lunch together. After lunch, Juliet and Pauline go up to Pauline's room uh, while Honora does the dishes. Uh, Pauline gives, or Juliet gives Pauline the brick that she's brought, and Pauline puts it in a stocking and puts it in her bag. They head to the park. Uh, They take the trail. They stop at a tea kiosk. Um at the top of the trail. They have tea. Uh the owner's wife, Agnes Ritchie, serves them and says later on that they were all acting quite normal. After tea, they head down the trail a short way. Uh Nora says that she needs a break. Um they continue uh on down the trail, and Juliet is in front and Pauline is in the back. Juliet drops the pink stone and calls them over to look at it. As planned, Nora bends over to look at the stone. Pauline swings the brick and hits Nora's head. Uh, Nora covers her head, uh, and Pauline continues to hit her. When she does not die, uh, they force her down to the ground. Uh, At one point, the stocking rips and the brick falls out. Juliet (sighs) grabs and takes the brick and continues to beat Honora in the head with it. Uh, Juliet gets on top of her at some point and puts her leg on Honora's neck while Pauline slams the brick down on her head
0: Jesus Christ
1: uh, Honora starts making gurgling sounds and uh, they try to drag her down the hill Mm. they run up the hill to the tea house screaming mommy's dead mommy was attacked Agnes (laughs) Ritchie sees them running up the hill she sends uh two boys that were buying ice cream from her to go get her husband and asks the girls to go uh to take her to where the accident has happened but the girls say they can't go back to that terrible place juliet is hysterical while pauline is white in shock kenneth ritchie which is agnes ritchie's husband he's the owner of the tea house so these are the two owners of the tea house agnes and kenneth ritchie uh kenneth ritchie notices that their hands are covered in blood uh the girls point down the hill and tell him uh their mother fell and hit her head on a rock he goes down he goes down uh to where the act uh accident has happened and while he's down there agnes calls the police Uh, Juliet is very insistent that she wants to go in and clean up so Agnes brings them into the kiosk where they are left alone uh, to clean up Uh, as she's leaving them alone she hears Juliet giggle and say oh isn't she nice referring to Agnes Uh, Agnes tries to call their fathers Uh, she gets a hold of Henry Humes and he comes uh, he asks Agnes or Agnes asks what happens, and Juliet shrieks. Pauline says that she slipped uh, and fell and hit her head. Oh, so that Honora had slipped and uh, fell and hit her head, and she kept banging and banging. Yeah. Juliet says, uh, "Accidentally
2: smashed her basin." Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Juliet uh, says to Pauline that it's a nightmare, and soon that they'll w- they'll wake up soon. Uh, the story keeps changing. Uh, they say that they tried to carry her back to the tea house, but she was too heavy. Kenneth and his assistant find Nora, and they say the blood was running in little rivers down the trail. Kenneth notices that she didn't look like it was an accident, uh, and saw a half brick covered in blood and hair. (laughs) Didn't
2: even get rid of the murder weapon. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Jeez. The police are called around 4 p.m. Uh, Henry picks up the girls and takes them home before the police show up. So, uh, yeah, so the police, the girls aren't even there when the police get there. <coughs> Hilda is shocked uh, when she sees them. So Henry takes them back to the Hume's home. Hilda sees them. She's shocked and she takes them to the bath to scrub them down. Uh, she calls Bill Perry for help and he brings them two cups of tea. He notices the blood on their coats that are hanging on the stairwell and he takes them to go get dry clean to save them from the shock is what he tells police later. (laughs) Uh, Hilda puts the girls in their pajamas and puts them to bed uh, and then she feeds them because they were hungry. The police arrive uh, at the park around... Uh, the sun is setting at this point and but they find the brick and realize that it's clearly not an accident. At 7.30 p.m., they head over to the Hume's home at 8 p.m. They interview the girls, uh, but they called ahead, saying that they were coming. So uh, Hilda goes upstairs, finds Juliet's diary, and hides it, uh, and she wakes up the girls. The girls are interviewed separately. Uh, their stories match up but almost too perfectly. Like they've come Reversed up with it, yeah. what they're going to say at this point. Uh, but Bill Perry. Uh, Bill Perry, however, tells the police that he thinks that the girls are lying. Um, the police arrive and the Humes allow the girls to talk to the police Uh, so Henry Hulme tries to claim that Juliet wasn't there Uh, and Pauline starts to stick to the story that uh, her mom fell um, and they ask her about the stocking but she claims that she always carries a stocking but had used it to wipe up the blood Juliet ends up uh, saying that uh, it was a murder she ends up confessing but saying that it was all pauline's idea and that she wasn't even there which is what henry Hulme told her to say uh and um that she was off looking for the ring or the setting that the stone had come from that honora had seen uh on the ground And Pauline goes along with the story and um, says that Juliet was not there. So Pauline, at this point, is the only one who is arrested. Mm
2: -hmm. For Uh, killing her own mother.
1: Yes. So while Pauline is in jail, one of the officers sees her writing in her journal. Uh, It was that day's diary entry. And she wrote that she was taking all the blame for everything. So then, seeing this, Juliet is arrested. Uh, They find pauline's diaries at her house uh oh uh, and then pauline discovers that her parents aren't married by reading the newspaper article on the case the next day that's when she discovers that she's not pauline reaper but pa- pauline parker uh and uh, the police believe that there are more diaries, so they go to the Reaper house. They find all of her di- diaries confessing to the plan and that Juliet was part of it all along. <coughs> <coughs> Pauline attempts to burn the, uh, the diary entry that she was writing in her cell, but they get it from her, and, you know, that's that. Um, they, then they ask her straight out, If Juliet is involved and this is what Pauline says, let Deborah and me get together and Mm -hmm. have a discussion. I'm sure Deborah will say whatever I say. She will think she will think it's right. Whatever I say. And they're like, no, (laughs) no, that's not happening. Let us just talk to each other as the
0: characters we've created.
1: Even though in my opinion, it was kind of mishandled, but because these are little girls and, uh, a lot of this, they are taken away before the police could get there. A lot of people are, believe these little girls are they just like what is going on, you know? So it's not really handled very well.
0: well I, I feel like uh, kids get definitely treated differently when it comes to um, serious crimes and well, stuff like. You yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah. If you're if you're trying to get, uh, you know, a confession out of a kid, that's going to be probably a different uh, scenario than getting a confession out of like a 35 year old trained. Yeah. Serial yeah. killers. I don't
1: know, but they're not gonna let these two little girls like well, no. yeah, meet exactly. up and get their. Story but I feel straight. like they
0: they might have you know they've been pulling off these lies and shit so far, so they're kind of like oh just just let me and Deborah yeah.
1: we'll, we'll talk this out. It's all good. uh Hilda instructs the gardener to burn all of Juliet's diaries, which is actually kind of a shame that those don't exist. Um, but we do have Pauline's diaries, and a lot of her diary entries are in Anne Perry, uh, Crime of the Century, and were referred to in the video that I watched, so it was very interesting. And some of their poetry, which is incredible. It's actually very good.
0: Um, well, they do seem like imaginative people. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Their writing, their intelligence is just, but, you know, intelligence doesn't mean knowing or right from wrong. Yeah, morality. You know, morality. things. Yeah. Um, so Hilda instructs the gardener to burn all of Juliet's diaries. Then Hilda goes to the hairdresser, and while she is gone, the police ar- arrest Juliet. Uh, so she's not even there at that point. She's never there. That's great. Uh, Henry Hulme uh, has to leave the room as his daughter is confessing to the murder. Uh, she is arrested and put in the same cell as Pauline. They stay up... They stay up all night chatting, uh, and Juliet even asks for a cup of tea. They talk about normal girl stuff. They don't bring up the murder at all. Uh, the Humes hire a high profile lawyer named Terrence Crescent, who actually attended college with Henry, uh, and they tried to pull uh, off a plea of insanity. Bert Reaper uh, contacts a lawyer that uh, Nora actually used to work with. Uh, he doesn't specialize in murder. So he brings in Alec ha- Hazelan, uh, who's actually a friend of Dr. Bennett's, the one that had given them the psychiatric and physical before to Pauline. Uh, and Dr. Bennett is actually summoned to interview the girls. So, okay. So it's a weird thing that Henry Hulme is trying to go for this plea of insanity or the Hulmes are trying to push for this plea of insanity because in New Zealand, anyone found not guilty by reasons of mental insanity is detained indefinitely. But if you're under age and you, you would not ever face the death penalty if you're under age and you're probably only going to serve a few years. But, uh, the Humes are pushing for this insanity plea because I think they wanted to put Juliet away again and not Maybe to save with a her. face, too, though. Save you face, know, too, yeah.
2: You know, I mean, yeah. obviously, they were really worried about their reputation all the time, so maybe that was another thing is that, like, well, she's not a cold-blooded killer. She's just crazy. Yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that might have been it,
1: too. So this guy's name. Now, I know it's a lot of name, but this guy's name is great. Reginald Meldicott. Reginald med medlicott sorry Reginald medlicott who was known as the father of modern psychiatry Ah. in new zealand he's brought in to interview the family uh and basically get his take on the case uh henry and jonathan leave to australia mid trial so before there's even a verdict henry and jonathan takes their son jonathan they leave uh Jonathan doesn't find out what's even going on until uh, the the two of them are confronted by reporters upon arrival in Australia so uh, the police leak information from uh, Pauline's diaries to the news So now the news has this whole spin that they're having this love relationship and these girls are insane and all of this stuff and Information that should have never gotten out of there.
0: Right.
1: Uh, Meldicott calls the girls unremorseful, uh, arrogant, but polite. Uh, But Pauline gets hostile with him uh, when he brings up the subject of separating them. Uh, He finds Juliet uh, condescending and cold. uh, And he asks Juliet if she has any regrets. And she says none whatsoever. Uh, he asked Pauline, uh, as well. And Pauline says, uh, that she would kill her mother again if, uh, if she got in her way of her relationship with Juliet. And Juliet says, I would kill anyone who got in the way of my relationship with Pauline. So basically they've confessed at this point, uh, that... Uh, And they confess that they weren't actually distraught after the murder, that that was all an act. Meldicott says he has never encountered such pure evil as he did in those two girls. Uh, Meldicott comes up with the conclusion that this was something called folly ado, which means shared psychosis and shared delusional disorder there are very very few cases of this um there's another case i'm going to look into uh and talk about later on i think but yes there's only a handful of cases of this shared psychosis uh disorder uh during the trial the girls giggle and yawn chit chat they write notes to each other while in court they are twice told to keep it down Jesus Christ. On August 23rd, 1954, Julia and Pauline were excited. They were posing for the press. Hilda actually shows up with Bill Perry uh, to court. The jury deliberates for two hours and 19 minutes, and they find the girls guilty unanimously. Uh, Due to Section 5... Uh, because they were under eighteen, meant detention during Her Majesty's pleasure, which means uh, indefinitely until the Magistry of Justice releases them. They were sent to separate prisons. That was oh, the man. best punishment that they could come up with. That yeah, they're right. sent to separate prisons. Juliet is sent to Mount Eden. Pauline is sent in sentenced to uh, era arahata um hilda legally changes her name to perry uh she goes by Marion perry and leaves new zealand uh juliet's prison is not
2: how old is she at this point when she she's leaving hilda yeah the
1: mom um i'm not sure probably oh,
2: oh, sorry okay so the mom left and changed her name sorry yeah Got it.
1: She's probably in her 40s or 50s at this point. Uh, Juliet and Pauline are 15 and 16. Okay,
2: so they're still this. 15 16, and 16. And you said that they're they're put away at, because they're underage, they can hold on to them as long as they want to?
1: Basically, yeah. Okay. But most underage, uh, most underage people who are convicted of serious crimes don't really stay for that right? long. Um, okay, got it but it's a case-by-case thing um so Juliet is sent to a rather nasty prison uh it has a small window that is too high to see out of but pauline actually gets kind of a nice setup um they were not allowed to write letters to each other uh both end up being secretly released uh in November of 1958. So they're in for maybe five years tops, four to five years. Um, They are uh, allowed to change their identities and move on, which is why they didn't announce that they were going to be released. So they're trying to give these girls a chance to kind of have a normal life at that point, Mm -hmm. which I don't know exactly if I agree with that. Um, Juliet ends up going by Anne Stewart. She goes to Rome to meet her father, but her father uh, has kind of been seeing somebody actually throughout most of this. Uh, and the woman he's seeing won't let uh, Juliet, who's going by Anne now, won't let her stay. Uh, so then she goes to England and she gets a job as a sec- secretary. She changes her name to Anne Stewart Perry. She claims that Bill Perry legally adopts her at one point. She's denied a visa to the U.S., so she gets a job as a stewardess and then one day just stays in the U.S. And she lives for several years here in Southern California.
0: The hell? Oh, God.
1: Which I'm pretty sure is where she still is. Right. Um, Pauline changes her name to Hillary Nathan, Pauline gets a bachelor in, a bachelor in arts degree. Uh, she goes to library school. Her classmates call her secretive. Uh, she was uh, noticeably absent on the day of the class picture. Uh, she works as a librarian. Sorry, my cat is not liking this story. Uh, she works as a librarian in Auckland until she's taken off parole. Where she at that point she disappears forever and. People don't really know where she is at this point. Juliet, who is now known as Anne Perry, becomes very vocal. She does interviews. She talks about the, the crime. Uh, and, uh, by 1978, she writes several novels. She's able to publish her first novel, the, the Cater Street Hangman, which is, um, about Jack the Ripper. Um, And, uh, she becomes a published author at the age of 54, uh, by 2003, she publishes 47 novels and they are, from what I've heard, they're quite violent, uh, but very, very well written.
2: And this is the one, uh, the one that actually did the murder or the other one?
1: They both did. I mean, but this is Juliet. She was the one one, who,
2: sorry, the daughter of the one, uh, the one. The rich one or the poor one?
1: The that, richer, that, the richer family. <laughs> uh, okay. The, uh, the family. one okay. who took the brick second from Pauline. Second, okay, who's, right. Whose the, idea.
2: The da- yeah. The daughter is the one who kind of smashes her in the, the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, got it. They
1: both definitely played their part in it, but it was Pauline's idea initially. Right. Okay, um, got it. But yeah, Anne Perry goes on, or Juliet goes on to be a novelist. And that is, uh, the story of the heavenly creatures, Juliet, Hulme, and Pauline Parker.
2: Jesus Christ, man. And, uh, uh, they, they basically, it seems that they, once they were released, they did not get in touch with each other
1: after that. Not as far as I know.
2: It's very interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean,
2: with such a strong connection, you would have thought that the second day they were out that they would be trying to reach
1: each other. Yeah. But they did spend longer in jail than they were friends. They were only friends for about maybe two and a half years. So they did spend longer in jail at that point. And I do believe that that, while Pauline was on parole, she was the only one who got parole after she was released. Uh, The stipulation was that she was not allowed to contact Juliet at all.
2: Oh, oh, okay. So there was got it there was things in place to keep them from meeting meeting up got it
1: yeah
0: yeah they seem like uh two trustworthy girls i'm Uh, sure they didn't talk at
1: all well (laughs) as far as we know this was it you know and they didn't commit any crimes
0: yeah
1: but yeah what the
0: moral of the stories i guess is to plead that insanity
1: Yeah. yeah well they didn't get insanity that's why they
0: Oh, that's that's true. why that's they true.
1: were eventually yeah, able to true. be released, ironically, but uh yeah. So that's that. Hope well, you hope you guys like that little roller coaster of yeah, a story. Yeah, that's good. Yeah,
2: damn. That's intense. I mean, that's it, you know, definitely I think that when you're young, you definitely get friendships with with, with people that are uh you know, sometimes can get really super intense. Uh, you know, growing mm-hmm. up, you know, you can you you, you know, you get that, that friend that you're hanging out with constantly. And it's like you, like you said, you get to your private jokes and you get your inside thing. And then you guys are thick as thieves and
1: yeah,
2: I can see stuff stuff growing uh, uh, really fast. Just like just just the intensity of things growing really quickly, uh, especially when you're spending that much time together.
1: Yeah. And And you uh, don't, you've never had any other friends. You've never had love from your parents and then somebody worships you. Yeah, you've you each other yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so gotta love
2: adolescence. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's
1: crazy. Um. All right. Cool. So, do you guys want your assignments for the next time? Uh, yeah. Do you want uh, assignments?
2: Absolutely. What do we got yeah. going yeah. the, coming down the pike here? Okay.
1: I did. I we're gonna get back on track with some. Hollywood stuff here. So these are all movies that are based on actual murders or serial killers. So I want you to uh, look up a little bit about the film, but also mostly about the true crime or murders and serial killers behind them. Okay. All right. Okay. So, Jameson, yours uh, is going to be the film called The Town That Feared Sunset. And, okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, and uh, the murders are called the Phantom Murders. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Beautiful. Pat, you're gonna do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and tell us about Ed Gein.
2: how oh, lucky. I
1: know. <laughs> do you want that one? I'll let you trade if you. I uh,
2: well, I don't. Know, I don't know anything about the uh, the one you gave me, so I'll stick with
1: that. That's okay. Fine. Okay. And I'm gonna talk about. It and clowns that are featured in films and movies. I know there's one in American Horror Story as well. And I'm gonna talk about the wonderful John Wayne Gazy.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> cool. You
1: know? So I think that'll be a fun episode, you know, to get into all of the you know, crimes that inspired these iconic films, you know. No,
0: so that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
1: down. Cool and the uh, the Phantom Murders, they're crazy uh no spoilers
2: yeah. I, I, I know the movie i don't know the crime so i'm excited
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I've, I've never seen the movie so and i'm a big horror fan but that's just one that i've never seen
1: cool awesome nice I'm
0: excited.
1: yeah i'm excited about that one i have a couple ideas of other things in the future too so um yeah but we'll talk about it afterwards yeah so. wonderful yeah.
0: Sweet. Right. Well, Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, is the collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood's Haunted Tours and is available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, like, and share, because sharing is scaring. For more information on Hollywood Haunted, visit our website at HollywoodHaunted.com. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at HollywoodHaunted@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Yeah.
1: Hollywood's email haunted. us your paranormal experiences. A good topics to talk about Yeah Yeah Or Say if podcast. you want to point out that Hollywood's Yeah We can do Corrections
0: And stuff Yeah The podcast Absolutely
1: right. uh, Thanks
0: guys